why'd you have to bring it up as you're like that one student that like asks if you have homework <laughs> and then you make us have homework you shouldn't have asked me if i had any fun questions to another episode of Romancing the Monsters. I'm M. Hi, I'm S. I'm Seth. And S is still a little poorly, so, you know, we're going to try to cheer her up today <laughs> with some Again the Magic by Lisa Kleypas. We're starting our historical yes, series. girl. This is the kickoff of our Wallflower read-along. So, if you have always been planning on reading the Wallflower books by Lisa Claypass eventually in your life, now is the time to do so because we're going to read them all, starting with, again, the magic and ending with Wallflower Christmas at Christmas. So, you know, you have that to look forward to. And as per usual, you know, we're going to read other stuff in between. So, you know, do not worry if you're not interested in the Wallflower books. I mean, if you clicked on this episode, I'm guessing you are. But, you know, in case you're not, <laughs> uh, there will be other stuff in between. All right. Again, the magic. McKenna, Aline, Livia, Gideon. We get two love stories for the price of one. <laughs> <laughs> what is it about, Saf? Tell us everything. All right. Okay. So the book kind of starts off um, with a chapter that's filled with heartbreak. Um, we meet McKenna, who's a stable boy and was brought into the house um, as a young boy. He started off, you know, working as a, a servant and then he slowly made it to the stable boy position. And then it kind of went from there and he meets Aline and McKenna and Aline kind of hit it off right off the bat and like they've just become best friends since they were kids and like all up until like early I guess adulthood um anyway so of course they have feelings for one another but because she's I guess a lady in society she's obviously expected to marry a man of a man in high standing and McKenna clearly is a stable boy and has no blue blood within him um, things happen, and while they do have feelings for one another, her dad ultimately finds out, and we know this Westcliff, um, isn't our Westcliff, he's not my man Westcliff, and he is evil, and obviously doesn't want his daughter to be seen or be around a man of lower standing, and he pushes her to send McKenna away, um, and how she does this is basically tell him that she never loved him, and it was just a game for her, and she just wanted to you know, explore and experiment. Um, obviously, we know Aline, Aline's heart is breaking. <laughs> um, and McKenna leaves filled with anger at, because of the betrayal that he faced um, and he experienced because of Aline's words. Um, Aline, heartbroken, and she's depressed, and she just wants to, like, have any sign of McKenna in her life and the lovely housekeeper says that she has a note or a letter Miss from McKenna. Miss Fairchild. Yes, Miss Fairchild. And um, 
Aline goes to find this letter with Miss Fairchild and ultimately she gets burnt in a fire in the kitchens. Um, and it sounds brutal, but then we jump ahead 12 years later and uh, McKenna is back and he's a rich businessman and we also find mm, out. He is delicious. He is dark. He he's is hot. mysterious. Mm. Yeah. And not only is he a rich businessman hoping to get some connections in London and, like, get some sponsors and people to pay for things. No, he is back for revenge. He wants revenge. revenge on Aline for breaking his heart and making every other woman seem inferior to her and he's never really been able to move on from her um so not only does he come for revenge he also came with his friend Gideon Shah who's his partner and Gideon is known to be um dependent on the alcohol but he's known to be a real looker he encounters Livia which is the youngest well Gideon uh, is is the heir of a very 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 rich uh you know fortune American fortune exactly He's a, an heir in America. He and comes from a very troubled family of people that yeah. kind of hate each other. Yeah, they <laughs> sound awful. Yeah, they really do. Um, anyways, he kind of catches the eye of young Livia, who is the youngest Marsden sibling. So there's Westcliff, Marcus, my, my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Aline is the oldest sibling, though. So it's Aline, then Westcliff, and then Livia. And uh, we find out that Livia has had a tough past. She kind of had a fiancé. Well, she didn't kind of have. She had a fiancé. Um, she got pregnant from said fiancé, but then her fiancé sadly dies, and she also loses her child as well. Um, so she's kind of suffering from, like, the the society's uh, opinion on her. Um, but anyway, she gets caught up with Gideon, and then their story kind of goes forward from there. And that's kind of the setup of the story. So we all... Have already read this book before. Yes. Once, I believe. Have you read it more than once, that stuff? I think I've only read it once. Okay. So it was our second time for everyone here. Um, I will say the first time I read it was only in 2017 because I didn't know that this book existed, which is a real problem. I don't know when I read this. Let me check. Because the cover for this... There's, like, a blue dress and everything. And for whatever reason, it reminds me of a cover from the Hathaways. Yeah. So every time I would see this cover online, I was like, oh, no, I've read that book. I've read that book. Until 2017, where I was like, why is it marked as unread? Like, I'm pretty sure I've read every Hathaway book. Like, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And then I realized it was a completely new book. And I was mind blown by how good it was and how I've missed out on this for years and years and years. So... So, yeah. And this was S's first historical romance, wasn't it? What? Yeah. First ever. <laughs> that you recommended. And I read it the same year as well. Oh, sometimes okay. my recommendations are good. Sometimes oh, shut up. Your recommendations are usually good. <laughs> it was really good to the point that I ended up buying like 10 to 15 historical yeah. romance paperbacks. And that was it. That was the last time I read a historical romance. So. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so excited to hear your thoughts on like the other Wallflower books. I will say that before going into my opinion of the story. But I I loved it. And I read this book actually in 2015. But I read the Wallflower series. So like what I guess the original four. And mm-hmm. then I went back to this one. 
So I, I like you guys, I didn't really okay. know that this book existed or it was even part of the series. Um, yeah. So I went back after I read the I read the original four books. Yeah, I think I did the same. I read the original four, then years later realized that this was this existed. Read again the magic, then went and read. Uh, wallflower christmas because again didn't know that that book existed yeah i i think i read that one after as well i think i saved it for christmas because i was like running low on lisa claypass books um so i was like i'll try to savor this until christmas how do we like our rereads let us discuss i love the shit out of mine i'm sorry it was so good for me it was a it was a good uh reread um i fell in love with the story again yeah, I had forgotten that Olivia and Gideon had this, their story in this. Mm. I completely forgot about them, so it was nice to revisit them. And I agree with that, and I feel like the emotions for me were still very much there, and I felt the angst, the love, the the heartbreak. I felt it all with these characters, and I don't like. I didn't feel any less. I still love this book so much coming out of it, and I'm curious. Um, you said you don't usually do rereads, or when you do, you kind of like the book less. So, how did you feel about this book, reading it again for the second time? Um. Well, what I did to try and prevent myself from, you know, not liking the book, which I don't think would have happened, but you know, to prevent it. Uh, I did the audiobook instead. So I huh. read it in a different format than what I, you know, did the first time around uh, to, you know, try to make the experience feel somewhat new in a way. Yeah. Um, and I thoroughly enjoyed my experience. Um, it was a great audiobook narrated by Rosalind Lendor, who also does uh, all the Julia Quinn books. Uh, my personal favorite narrator for Lisa Claypass is uh, Mary Jane Wells. But, you know, I'll take Rosalind Lindor. It's fine. Uh, but it was a, it's just such a good freaking book. Like, you're just... You don't realize that two love stories are, you know, sort of into one book. Like, the length of one book. And therefore that, that, therefore that means that, you know, each story doesn't get as much page time as, like, mm -hmm. you know, if it was, like, a full-blown, you know, novel by itself. Yeah. You don't feel that because it's so masterfully written and the love stories are so good that you feel like you had, like, you know, a huge book that just so happens to have two love stories in them. Like, you don't feel yeah. like you're missing out on anything. The The pacing is perfect. The characters are just perfect in their arcs. And, oh, I just love it so much. And, and this is where you start. You start with, again, the magic. This is why we're doing it first. You start here and then you move on to... Uh, What's it called? Secrets. Secrets of a Summer Night. <laughs> yeah. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree wholeheartedly that this is the first book in the Wallflower series. Um, and I was going to ask you girls, how did you feel about having two romances in one book? Do you feel like it was enough time spent on each book? Do you, uh, Not each book. Each story. Do you think like any of the scenes or couple could have been fleshed out a bit more? But Marge, you kind of answered that already. Um, but as did you I, feel that way? I I think not the second time around. The first time around, I kind of wanted Olivia and Gideon to have their own. I expected yeah. them to have their own book. But after reading it the second time, I didn't mind it. It was Yeah, fine. same. I think I was in the same boat with U.S. Because, like, I felt like um, Gideon and Olivia didn't have that much page time. But at the same time, I feel like reading it now, I kind of appreciate their scenes. They kind of, they were still important, but yet they didn't, like, even... I guess 
I don't know what I'm trying to say, but the couples didn't overshadow one another, and I feel like they had the appropriate page time. And while I would have liked to see Gideon's, like, struggle and, like, his eventual overcoming of his dependency on alcohol, um, I still liked how it was done by the end of the story, and it was kind of like their story was just beginning at that point. Like, she was, like, waiting, and she finally was there, and it didn't. Like, we didn't see them meet after he's come back from his six months of... That is my one pet peeve. I hate, I hate how she just cuts the scene and you're like, you don't get the reunion. I know, but I also kind of understand it because it's more or less like another, like it's a, it's another beginning for them, you know, like. Fine, I can get a new beginning and also get like Gideon and Livia being reunited and like making love and you know, like I just, (laughs) I needed that scene. Anyways. My one pet peeve with the book. <laughs> Every time I read it, I'm like, this this is so abrupt. Yeah, I can see that. But um, no, I, I really think that they, not they, Lisa Claypass did a really good job of balancing both romances as well as like not letting them overshadow the other. And while Aline and McKenna did take like prime time, like the spotlight, um, I still enjoyed the little tidbits we did get of Gideon and Livia. So, can we begin our conversation with uh, circling back to the beginning? Westcliff? So, oh, okay. You wish. <laughs> we'll talk about your Westcliff later on. Okay. Um, no, I want to talk about, uh, so, you know, like Seth says, said, there's the whole prologue. McKenna returns. He's like, I'm going to get my revenge. Um, you know, <laughs> last still, all of two seconds he has like all these you know feelings and he's like kind of trying to prove to himself that like he can get over them and like he's over Aileen and like Aileen is like sure <laughs> yeah um, I want to talk about a the decision to have Aileen um, to have her realize right away what he's up to you know, yeah. like, she knows, Eileen knows that, like, he's here for revenge. Mm-hmm. How did you feel about that? That it's not, like, a secret, so ex- you know? Of her being so accepting? Well, it? I guess so, because I just feel like in a lot of, like, revenge plots, uh, the hero or heroine, whoever is, like, doing the revenge, they, it's like a, it's like a secret. Yeah. That's like kind of looming over the plot and then eventually gets revealed that, like, no, you were just trying to get your revenge all along, blah, yeah. blah, blah, angst ensues, whatever. Here, Eileen was like, no, I know right away what he's up to. Yeah. And I'm gonna, I'm cool with it. Type of thing. <laughs> I think they just had so many issues already to solve that adding this problem would have been a bit too much for them. And I also feel like Aline was never portrayed as someone that um, is oblivious or someone that doesn't perceive everything around her. She's a very smart young individual. And she's not, she's not young. She's a smart person. <laughs> I don't know where I'm I mean, going with this. She is young. She is very, yeah, she's if young. She's, I don't know. If she's not we young, just we are old this, as heck. <laughs> she is, yeah, a very smart person and... <laughs> Yeah, so she, of course, she would pick up on it right away. And it's not like, uh, I was going to say Westcliff. It's not like McKenna was trying to hide um, his animosity or, like, his need for revenge. Yeah, to to me, it shows two things. First of all, it shows that the heartbreaking thing about it is that Aileen knows what he's up to. 
And like you said, she's accepting of it because to her, she's like, I love him enough to let him hurt me right now because I know that that's all I'm going to get from him type of thing. Like, she's, she needs him enough for that, you know? Like, she's just like, if this is all I get from him and if he needs to do that to move on from whatever, I'll Mm -hmm. let him do it type of thing. So it shows that, but it also shows to me that um, it shows to me just how much these two people know each other. That like Eileen right away is like, I know what's up with you. Like, I know you enough that like you can't hide this from me. Like on an emotional level, you and I are like one person. I know why you're doing this, you know. So so I think it's like a really subtle way of doing that. Without Lisa Claypass being like, they are so, like, one person. They know each other so well, blah, blah, blah. But, like, right away you're like, yeah. She notices it. She knows him. Mm-hmm. She knows him like no one else knows him. Yeah. Even better than he knows himself. So, exactly. So I, I do love that decision. Yeah. And despite it being 12 years between the last time they saw each other and now, it's just, like, they haven't really changed and, like, they still feel those same emotions for one another and, like, they still know each other on that, like, that level. And, yeah, no. 12 years is a long time, though. I, like, I was kind of shocked again by the, the gap, like, the jump ahead. So she's, what, 30? She was 32 she... or 31. What? Yeah, she was in her 30s. Oh, wow, she's a spinster spinster. <laughs> wow. Wow, I didn't even make the connection of, like... Me either. The math, the math wasn't there. In my oh. head, she was, like, 26 or something. Yeah, late, late 20s. <laughs> no, in my head, I was literally... I, I went back to the years, and I was like, okay, okay. I gotta add this and this, and then, like, I figured it out. I think she was, like, 30 or 31. Wow. So he's, like, what, mid... 30? Wasn't he like the same age or older, like by I, a year? I feel like wasn't she older than him though? Because you said that at on the prologue she's nineteen, eighteen. She was nine. Oh yeah, she was nineteen and he was seventeen, right? But then they mentioned that once he hits, I think in chapter two or three, they it mentions that once he hits eighteen, that it, about yes. his clothes, right? Yes, yes, so, yes. So I'm trying to so. She's yeah, yeah, older, yeah. There right? you go. She's older. You're oh right. Oh my gosh. Okay, so then he would have been 29. Ew. Look at us reading an older lady, younger man. <laughs> By all two of two years. years. <laughs> <laughs> it counts. Uh, um, so, one thing I love about this book is the. Uh, well, actually. You know, we can talk about the male characters all we want. And, like, Lisa Claypass does write, you know, amazing male characters. Um, But I do think she also writes amazing female characters. And I feel like it shines in this book how fierce and, like, both women stand up for who they are and their beliefs. And, you know, a huge part of Livia's, you know, journey is like, you know, she's finally sort of coming back out into society and opening herself up to, you know, everything that comes with that. Um, And, you know, she still is like, I'm not gonna, you know, accept Gideon as he is into my life because I know that that's you know destructive and I love him enough to she literally says at some point like I love you enough to not accept you as you are right now type of thing something like that 
Oh yeah, she she says I care about you too much to watch you destroy yourself after his and she says that after his proposal and he says take me as I am and she replies perhaps I could if I cared less. And I do love that she or Lisa Claypass in this instance highlighted that she didn't want Gideon to change for her. Like it had to be a decision he made on him like by himself and I love that Lisa Claypass highlighted that in that passage. Yeah. But I love I love how this story sort of touches upon, you know, these two sisters who, you know, kind of had the world at, you know, the tip of their fingers growing up. Like, they were from one of the richest family in the land. They have the Marsden name, and you would think that they would grow up with the most wonderful, beautiful life and marry off pretty young and, you know, have, like, you know, a great future ahead of them. And yet you see how life has kind of um, changed them both. And, you know, Livia kind of became a, mo- a lot more recluse. And uh, obviously Aileen kind of, I mean, because of her scars and everything, like she sees her self-worth as diminished as a result. And mm-hmm. I just loved how, how the book touched upon that. And like you had this like really uh, subtle, but, you know, not, any less important journey for both of them of that of like uh sort of reconnecting with who they are and what they want to be and you know sort of relearning to put their dreams and wants and desires first uh and not let fear you know interfere in yeah. all that so. and I agree with that but I also um I wanted to also highlight um when Livia went to London and spent the time with Gideon, she also went to the opera with McKenna. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, like you said, that Olivia is very much like outspoken. She speaks her mind. She does what she wants to do. Um, and she decides to tell McKenna the truth, which kind of gets the ball rolling for McKenna and Aline for their own relationship. But she takes it upon herself to tell her sister's truth in a way. How did you guys feel about that? With her telling McKenna... Um, actually she sent you away because my dad, um, sent, told her to do that. And also because I kind of, uh, hmm. saw you guys. I don't think she, like, about her legs, she didn't tell him the truth no, no, about no. her legs, right? Not Just, about that. Just, um, the reason or how he was forced out of, uh, the house. I actually like the fact that she owned up to it because I feel like if she didn't, then... N- nothing would have ever happened. Think that would've, nothing would have happened. Yeah. Exactly. I feel like it, this needed to happen, and since she did play a part into all of that, I feel like she did have a right to be like, because she did feel very guilty about it, and so I feel like she did have a right to say like, hey, McKenna, like, apologies for what I did years ago, like, I was young and dumb, and I did that, and I'm so terribly sorry, because I know that I'm the reason why everything else happened afterwards. Like, mm-hmm. she she has a role in it, so I didn't see any issues with her telling him. She didn't tell him, yeah. like I said, about, you know, the whole fire thing. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like sometimes people get to a point, and this kind of connects with what I was saying, like, you get to a point where your life has changed so much and so many years have gone by and you literally don't rec- recognize who you used to be anymore type yeah, of thing. Exactly. And I feel like for Aileen, it was kind of at that point where you don't recognize yourself mm-hmm. um, and it's scary as hell to change things and realize that like what you think is a comfortable life is actually a really sad and empty one 
you know mm-hmm, so I yeah. feel like Livia had to step in and be like here's the deal you know and it, it really made the difference for McKenna like that was all he needed to hear and he never would have known otherwise because freaking Aileen wasn't ready to say anything and it's not that she wasn't ready to say she just flat out said I'll never tell him because she's yeah. using the solitude as like a blanket as like a, a security blanket and like Obviously, I'm happy that Olivia did that, but, like, you can also kind of say the same thing. Like, Aline was kind of the person that got Olivia out of her self-imposed, solitary, uh, you know, recluse nature. Um, So, I mean, they kind of did the same thing to one another, but I guess in a different way. And, I don't know, I felt like McKenna and Aline needed that extra push from Olivia. But I also did get a flashback. Did you girls see Atonement? Yes! That's what I was that's what I have in my notes about the book, about the movie. I was like the damn sister again. The same baby sister again ruined this epic romance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm happy that Olivia corrected herself and um, asked for forgiveness for her past uh, mistakes. So, yeah. So, uh, shifting now uh, from, quickly, from uh, Gideon, not from Gideon, from McKenna and and Eileen to Gideon and Livia. There's too many names in this book. I'm gonna, (laughs) I'm gonna confuse people at some point. (laughs) Um, I want to talk to you guys about, or talk with you guys about, um, so you kind of briefly mentioned uh, Livia's past when she got pregnant. Um, you know, she miscarried the baby. It was seen as like a scandal because obviously this baby was made out of wedlock. Um, so she was kind of ruined by the whole thing. And similarly, but also very differently, um, Gideon had an affair at some point with a governess um who he was interested in um had a thing for her they had sex the governess uh got pregnant uh tried to abort the child and died as a result of that there was also like a thing about him falling in love with a girl at some point and then like the girl went to his father his father uh you know offered money instead of if it for her to leave gideon and she took the money she was like <laughs> Fine. wasn't it the same wasn't it the same i don't think governance? it was the same person i thought it was, was the it? same person i don't remember i don't think i don't know i it don't was remember kind of blurry on that front i wasn't sure if it was the governess or not but it, it's it's possible uh anyway all this to say that um do you guys find it weird that they never connect on that front gideon and livia because you, you, you know, there's there's for sure heartbreak attached to Livia's uh, miscarriage, you know, like not yeah. only heartbreak as far as like the baby, but obviously the men she loved um, who was a part of this baby. And that that was she I think she mentions at one point, like that was like the last part of him that she had. Yeah. Lisa Claypass never really explores the emotional impact of what Gideon went through, if that makes sense. Like I was wondering, like he never says how he felt about the fact that the governess just went out there and you know got an abortion and like was he heartbroken by it would he I don't know I don't know what his reaction would have been and I I find it interesting that like Gideon and Livia never really talk to each other about that when it feels like something they might have connected you know over do you think maybe for Gideon um since he's in a position of like like him and his family are in a position of money and stuff like that's kind of expected you know um 
where the governess was given money to abort and all that so it's kind of like well it was obviously like you understand why the governess did what she did like they were not married uh she was an unmarried woman uh and this would have been like a scandal so like you completely understand why she did what she did but that doesn't negate what the man can also emotionally go through you know like gideon feels to me like a very loving man so i just wonder like maybe he did feel something upon learning that she had been pregnant with his child and she lost the child and and died and if 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 that was the woman that he loved which we don't know if she was then i mean that's even more heartbreaking both of them then lost both a baby and someone that they loved could it also be the fact that he's like i mean he's a drunk so he's numb to those feelings no oh there you go that's what i was gonna say so basically um so going back to the governess it wasn't that she just took the money and ran her his dad was also going to disown him and take away all of his money if he did marry her so she kind of was like damn i'm not gonna be uh rich so i'm gonna take the money and go but for gideon i think not I think he did feel the loss of his baby deeply and I feel like he kind of turned to alcohol to console himself and like kind of cope with that and I feel like his dependency on alcohol kind of stemmed from all like the traumas he experienced uh with like his brother dying him like not really being appreciated by his family him losing the woman he thought he loved him losing his child I just feel like it was an amalgamation of all of that and like he used the alcohol to cope, so I just don't feel like he was at that point in his life to talk about his emotions. Maybe we'll get, like, we could have gotten that afterwards once um, he became sober with uh, Livia, but when he said it and when he talked about it, he wasn't mentally capable of talking about it. That's that's a good point. Like, he was obviously using other things to uh, cope with everything, so it makes sense, like you said, that he didn't, you know, really talk about it. Um, but how do you feel about, uh, you know, Gideon and his, you know, alcohol issue? Uh, this is interestingly something that Lisa Kleypas has done a couple times, uh, in her Ravenel series. Uh, yes. West, yes. West also struggles with, uh, alcoholism, but in a completely different way, which is what I appreciate. Cause here you have Gideon who, you know, he's a fit man. He's, you know, he's beautiful and rich and you know seemingly functioning you know he he functions as a normal human being um and that's exactly how some people that struggle with alcoholism are like they can do what everyone else does and you wouldn't know otherwise but they have this dependency on alcohol yeah it's because he never really stopped drinking he just kept drinking and never stopped. Well, it just became a part of who he is and his body yeah. kind of just accepted it type of thing. Uh, but I love the contrast, which obviously, yes, unfortunately cannot uh, relate to. But uh, West in the other books is quite different. Like he he his body completely changes. He's useless. He's like a drunk drunk. Like he's, you know. Not aggressive, but kind of just not, you know, fun to be around type of thing. And that kind that book explores, West's book explores the, like, the after part. So, you know, you don't get it here with Gideon, like, seeing him sort of after the fact. But 
I just think it's interesting how she she explored that te- that theme with two different characters in two different ways. I also feel like um in the Hathaway series there was um the brother well, <gasps> Leo, but Leo it's drugs. He's he's addicted to opium. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was that. Oh, Leo, love Leo. Leo was so good. Oh my gosh. Okay. So also listeners, I also want to do the the Hathaway series. So hopefully somehow we get there. Eventually. Maybe in 2022. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, di- I did enjoy having um, a character like experience, like, you know, alcoholism and like kind of see how it portrayed or like not, I can't speak. Uh, what are words? Um, seeing how it was portrayed, like, let's say the 1800s, I, you know, I just think it was interesting to see that take. And, like, it was a different take on alcoholism. Um, I don't know. I just feel like his character was very multi-layered, despite him, again, not having that much page time. They also, like, him and um, and McKenna have a very interesting sort of weird relationship like are they friends are they not friends they're business partners but also sometimes it feels like not like they are they they have like a complicated relationship I feel like you don't quite know what to make of it yeah I mean as did you like pick up on anything on that for their relationship well I mean now that you mentioned when I was reading nope but now that you mentioned it yes when I feel like they get along so well it's because they're, they both have their issues. Yeah. McKenna has his revenge and Gideon has his alcoholism. And I feel like they don't question each other too much on it. They just accept what they are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, McKenna says at one point, uh, th- one has the strength that the other has as a weakness type of thing. Like they are very compatible in that way. But is that friendship? You know, like you kind of, I, I don't know, personally, especially upon this reread, I was like, I don't know just how much of friends they are like they work together very well and I think that they have a care for each other that you know comes from the fact that McKenna did save Gideon's life um at one point and you know I think that Gideon um when he can't you know uh take care of his own companies McKenna is uh you know right there (laughs) to do it but I just don't know, are they friends or are they not? Like, that's that's an interesting question mark to me. I think they are. I think they are. And I think it's more so, um, Gideon depends on McKenna a lot in terms of, like, the business aspect. And But I also feel like McKenna and Gideon also have those emotional conversations. Or, like, they have those instances where they check each other. And, like, Gideon, for instance, kind of tells McKenna like are you sure you can you can get revenge on her like are you certain that's like what's gonna happen because I, I kind of like her and I know that you love her and then I guess for McKenna he also confronts Gideon on Livia and also other aspects of like the business and I, I feel like they are friends but we barely got to see any of it I would say yeah I don't know it's it's it really is a question mark for me um but you know that is just a strength of Lisa Claypuss's books. Like, she'll show you so many different friendships, and they're so different. You know, like, you, you have the wallflowers and how, you know, tight-knit they are together. And then you kind of, she kind of explores male friendship here with Gideon and McKenna. And it's so different and so complicated. And 
I don't know. It's just I love how she explores different different uh, kinds of bonds. Speaking of interesting uh, bonds uh, that lead to romance, that lead to sex. Can we talk about sex? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we can. Let's get to the deeper conversations. This book is hot. This book is so hot. Like, I cannot tell you just how sexier sex becomes when there's a revenge plot involved. McKenna, whoo, let me tell you something, okay? I feel like some people could be uncomfortable with the relationship between McKenna and Aline in this book. However, let me tell you something. There is consent from point A to point Z. It is all along <laughs> there is constantly a question mckenna is like yeah. send me away or i'm gonna take this as you want you want i'll i'll have you in my bed type of thing there's always constantly a question and like an out and she doesn't take it she makes the choice not yeah. to take the out exactly. which allows mckenna to be this, like, very domineering, controlling man. He is so assertive. Yes, mm -hmm. but with the out, you know? And I just love, I love that little detail that, like, along the way, every step of the way, he's always asking a question. It's never a, it's, he, he makes it sound like a demand, but there's a hidden question. And I love yeah. that. I yeah. love that. Which makes the sex even hotter, because you're like, you get the, the, the feeling that it's a little dangerous, but also, like, not really, because clearly both partners have agreed mm -hmm. to the act. <laughs> where, where were you going with this? Oh, well, where we are going <laughs> is the line where McKenna says, you're going to work off your debt on your knees. Oh, my back. gosh, yeah. If she if she doesn't send him away in the morning, he's going to take it as, all right, you're going to pay off your debt to me on your knees on your back. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> that is so hot. That is so hot. It was so hot. I was not prepared. I don't remember McKenna being um, this right? vocal. That gives me big. He gives me he gives me Sebastian St. Vincent vibes on that front. Really? You know? It's huh. something, I feel like it's something that Sebastian would have done. Yeah, I, I could see that. What series is he from? Because you always talk about him. Sebastian, Devil in Winter, this one. Is this in the series? Yeah. Yep, you're getting to him. He's coming, literally. <laughs> but it just feels like the kind of cheekiness that Sebastian would have also done. But like, Sebastian would make it. I don't know. In this case, it's, like, darker. Sebastian is not dark. He's just... Yeah. ...a absolute rake. There was an intensity and a darkness within McKenna yeah. that I feel like... Like an anger. It, like a, yeah, an his underlying anger. anger to it that Sebastian obviously mm -hmm. doesn't have. I mean, he does because he... Like, I think at first he does because he was so confused. He just... Honestly, no matter which way he twists and turns it, he never understood why. You know, why she she claimed to play this game or like why she claimed to have feelings for him. He just didn't have the answers until Olivia obviously told him the truth. Um, but he was still intense even after that. Even during those scenes, Aline always had the control. Even if it didn't seem like she did, she did. Um, mm -hmm. You know, she was the one choosing the position. She was the one choosing the place, the time. <laughs> 
She was the one yes. making all the decisions, you know? This is the perfect arrangement. McKenna, give me a call, please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes. You know, because obviously she she didn't want him to see uh, her legs, which we can yeah. talk about. Uh, but that was something that, you know, was kind of looming over her. And for her, it worked perfectly because it was like he was giving her all the options for her to not show herself to him yeah. type of thing. So yeah. So anyway, how did you feel about the sex? <laughs> Long story short, how did you feel about it? <laughs> yeah, it was it was hot. <laughs> I remember the first time reading it. I so one of the reasons why I didn't think his I didn't read historical romance was because I didn't think it was I didn't think it was that sexy or it was. <laughs> I really I really picked the right book to start you off on. You did. You really yeah. did. So I was shocked that it was that sexy. That it was that hot and forward and. So my, my perception of historical romance has changed with this book. I'm so happy to hear you say that. I'm just excited for you to get... I think Sebastian has a dirty mouth, if I recall correctly. <laughs> you do not recall? <laughs> Literally page six. Freckles. We'll talk about it when we get to his book. Just remember, like, page six, <laughs> freckles. Okay. All right. Make a note right here. <laughs> um. No, about the sex scenes... In this book, um, I enjoyed it, and I, I really liked that um, Aline recognized her own desire for McKenna, yeah. and she had to find a way to make it work for herself because she was not comfortable with her, him seeing her legs or even knowing the truth about what happened to her legs. So she had to find a way for it to be okay for her. And their first time was kind of in the forest, in the dark. Um, her first time. That was her the first time she's ever and had she sex. she tell him. And he's like, what the fuck? How, how come you haven't had sex yet? <laughs> right? He pulls that. I and love, um, I and love I, that trope so much. I don't even know Me too. Why. And he's like, shit, I caused you pain. And then yeah. the second time is like against a, a settee or whatever the fuck they're called. Like a chair or some shit. Like, yeah. You know, doggy style. It was hot. That, that one was yeah. hotter in my opinion. Yes. Um, but yeah. See, in historical romance, I didn't think doggy was a thing like back <laughs> in the day. I thought it was just all missionary, all oh my plain God. vanilla. You're going to have fun reading Lisa Claypass' ass. She's, she's got some good sex in her book. Yeah, Lisa Claypass, she has like, she creates sex scenes in like the most interesting places. Um, but also, we did not talk about Gideon and Livia's sex scenes, and one in particular where he brings out the condom. He oh, does. That's right. Oh my god, so much work for a fucking condom. Can you imagine? Right? Like he's got one. He bought one and like, you know, it's a one-use type of thing. <laughs> like it's a done deal afterwards. Like I'm like, "Oh my god, the work, the effort, the money." Did you guys ever Google like what like the condoms? They are made out of intestines. Yeah. No, I would not want that up in me. That is a nope. I just love, though, how he's like, I brought you a gift. (laughs) (laughs) But she was fully on board. She's like, ooh, okay. (laughs) Anyways. um, Can we finally talk about my man, Westcliff? No. You're going to have to wait. (laughs) What the heck? Because first, we can't jump into Westcliff, girl, at the end. Okay? At the end. First... So McKenna learns. I feel like we are all over the place. I'm so sorry, listeners. Uh, this was going to happen. You have to look forward to this with probably every episode from now on. So 
McKenna learns the truth and he's like, he has a change of heart. He sends a bunch of flowers to Aline. He's, you know, clearly trying to make up for it, blah, blah, blah. And Seth is so mad that we won't talk about Westcliff right now. <laughs> You're giving me like mean face. No, I'm just, I think you need to set the scene appropriately if you are not going to talk about Westcliff. <laughs> this was not after he found out the full truth, the actually. Attitude. This was after he found out the truth that Livia told him. Continue. The attitude, my God. <laughs> She's literally shooting daggers at me. Um. Anyways, so he learns the truth from Livia, but not about the legs. And then he, you know, does the grand gesture. And Aline is like, oh, my God, crying because she knows she can't accept it type of thing. Like she can't uh, go forward with this. Because of her legs, um, McKenna comes back. He's like, he really wants to talk to her. Like, in his mind, he's like, oh, my God, we can finally have this type of thing. Um, and then they have this conversation by the pond, which was, like, a place that they, you know, used to go as kids. It's, like, really emotional because of that. And um, McKenna proposes to her, essentially. And she refuses uh, tells him that he's not enough, that she would never marry someone below her. And, like, she says all the things that would hurt him, basically, so that, you know, he will continue to be mad and stay mad. It was so heartbreaking because he's like, I'm going to be vulnerable with you again. And then, like, I was like, no. Yeah. And then he was still willing to accept uh, accept her without her loving him. Yeah. Oh, that broke my I know, heart. right? When he said that too, and I was like, I yeah. can't. McKenna. But what, what really breaks me is when he goes afterwards to Miss Fairchild and he sobs. Yeah, that broke me too. He hugs her and sobs. And I was like, oh my God. And like, she literally says that she can see the hate, like, becoming stronger in him like type of thing like he's really broken at that point and I'm like oh my god no McKenna it's because like he kind of reverted back to that child that left it's just like yeah. he just doesn't understand what happened he's losing his best friend and also the woman he loves like they're the same person obviously but it's just like it's just heartbreaking because he doesn't understand what's happening because she's not being transparent with him and like I understand on her side why she isn't being that way but, like, for this, like, strong, like, man that's, like, was so set on, like, revenge, um, being vulnerable and saying all of these, like, lovely things and saying that he would love, you know, have enough love for the both of them. It's just, like, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Which, to me, when he actually learns about the legs, the fire, the everything, it makes perfect sense to me that he's mad. Like... For her, it's funny because Aline is, like, either expecting him to pity her or for him to be, like, overly accepting and, like, overly lovey type of thing, whatever. Instead, he's mad. He's Or like, also disgusted. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, obviously, that's, you know. Instead, he's mad because he's like, you have denied us this. For 12 years. And he literally says something like, because you underestimated my love. And that is so true and so important that she mm -hmm. loves him so fiercely that she would let him hurt her. And yet she doesn't believe that his love is strong enough for the same in return and for, for him to love her enough to be like, do you really think I would care about this? 
He doesn't care. He doesn't care. And it takes her fucking brother to be like, yeah, no, I wouldn't care if I loved a woman and she had scars. I wouldn't care. Westcliff. <laughs> now you throw Westcliff in. Hello. You didn't even like set him up. So basically the only reason McKenna and <clears throat> what's her name? Aline ended up even finding each other again was because of Westcliff. Let's be honest. Westcliff comes into the room and he's like, Aline, show me your legs. Let me see the scars. And then she shows him. And then he's like, okay, well, yeah, they're kind of bad, but they're not that bad. But like, then he says, yeah, I would, if my woman that I loved had scars, I would still love her anyways. And then they go and like, you know, she finds him again. But I did like that McKenna kind of like flipped it on her and he was like, what in case I was in a, like an accident that almost killed me and I was fully scarred, would you not love me then? And she's like, oh, of course I would. And like, I feel like that's when she finally, like it finally hit her that like their love was equal if not, you know, he loved her. I don't even know. I feel like their love was equal. Like they both love each other so fiercely. I feel like us humans tend to do that um, when it comes to having some type of trauma we make the decision we make the decision of the other person and be like you're not going to accept me like this yeah yeah and it's it's sad because i feel like it does happen a lot it does because then you deny yourself happiness you know because you just assume what the other person is going to think most likely based on what you feel about yourself you know uh because Aline didn't like her legs and she felt really ashamed of them and what happened to her. Therefore, in her mind, she's like, well, of course he's going to find this ugly and he won't, you know, want me as his wife if I look like this. And nobody else would. And, you know, it's not just McKenna. She literally didn't marry anyone for 12 years because she was like, nobody's going to want yeah. this. Um, and, I mean, this kind of gets into, like, my monster for Aline. So I don't know if we're in the mood or if, like, yeah. not in the mood, <laughs> if we're, we're ready mood. for that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, so for me, I thought the monster for Aline was, um, I wouldn't even say like pride or vanity, like it kind of falls into this like under the umbrella, but it's more of like society's perception of women in the 19th century. And that being women were only known, they had to be beautiful, they had to be pure, they had to be rich. And sure, Aline was beautiful. Yes, she was a virgin, and yes, she was rich. I mean, rich. she's described as the most beautiful of the Morrisons. Exactly. And, like, imagine being, like, a woman that was raised in this time and, like, knowing that, like, your beauty is worth something, and if you don't have it, then you're nothing. And, like, she lived that for so long, and, like, obviously, like, I guess unconsciously, you kind of start believing that and start taking that into yourself and kind of feeling unworthy or, like, I don't know, like, not finding yourself beautiful or worthy of love because society told you that you're not worthy of love and affection if you don't fit the criteria. Um, when we did, we did several uh, historical romance episodes uh, before and all of them, I think, had a scarred hero. And when we did those episodes, um, I think it was in the Black Beast of Beltaire episode, we were like, Next up, no, I think it might have been uh, my darling Duke. Actually, uh, okay. we said we said, well, wouldn't it be interesting to read about a scarred heroine instead? Because you know, all those heroes kind of base their whole um, strength and power as a hero, and I mean, as, as a man, on their their bodies and what their bodies can and cannot do, and therefore they think that um, they are unworthy 
because of what happened to them type of thing. Whereas we were like, well, wouldn't it be interesting to see how that transfers over to a scarred heroine? Because obviously there's an added layer of it being a woman in, you know, a time period where women's bodies were all that they were good for. You know, they yeah. they were sold <laughs> pretty much. Basically. Uh, into marriage and their only job was to please their husbands and produce heirs um so for a heroine to be scarred what does that do you know how does that change uh you know the the whole issues attached to uh you know either a disability or or scars or whatever it may be um so so yeah, like how uh, uh, that's my question actually for you guys. Like how how did you feel like what what do you what do you think was the difference here? For me, I feel like society is more forgiving on men than they are on women and especially I think in this time, I just feel like if Aline and if her accident was made known, I think she would have been shunned from society, but because she was like I guess in the society she was lucky that she could hide her scars with a dress, you know, and I don't know. I just feel like it's heartbreaking to think that your worth and your, I guess, your position in society is deemed on, like, your appearance. But that's just the way it was back then, and it's heartbreaking. But I kind of think that for men, it was, yes, it started with the body, but it kind of went into your worth as a powerful man type of thing. Like, it kind of left the realm of the body and wasn't to like well you're not a strong man anymore or you're not as powerful anymore type of thing obviously that's what they thought about themselves not what they actually are whereas here for a woman i think it stays very much entrapped in the body it's like your whole identity your whole worth is tied to your body and it's not like oh you're a strong woman for surviving this or like whatever it's like exactly no you're 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 unbeautiful you're lacking now. something now yeah unbeautiful yeah. is not a word it should be <laughs> <laughs> no and i agree with that but um i think going back to i i'm not i don't, I don't really want to compare but i will but like on the males that we've talked about that have been scarred um yeah. versus the the one woman I do feel like like you said a lot of it is self-imposed for the males and if they were in society I don't think they would have been looked at much less but they've uh they put themselves in you know like in solitude themselves and they deem themselves unattractive or like I guess not worthy of being in society well I feel like some people in society did react to, to their scars and like to their the way that they've decided to dress, but I don't feel like we really got to. Did we get to see them in society? And did we get to see people's reactions? Minus some of them, yes. Yeah, some of them. But I just, I don't know. I feel like it would be harder, I think, to be a woman and have scars, like scars on your face. Well, especially because men have money. Women do not have money in this world. And so a man, at the end of the day, even super scarred, whatever. He could probably still get a wife. It's just that the hero that the heroes that we've read about, obviously, that like they have decided that that was, you know, not what they were going to want for themselves type of thing. But yeah. money speaks and they have money, whereas these heroines is like, oh, no, like you're just not worth anything anymore. That's it. Yeah, they're dependent on their male family members to give them money. Um, so I feel like Aline, if she were if she were to decide to go into society and find a, a husband, 
Um, she was lucky because she had the Earl of Westcliff as her, you know, her, the person funding her, basically. Um, but I just feel like, yeah, going back to Aline and her scars, I honestly feel like, yes, her self-worth took a hit because of, you know, what she was taught and, like, how she was raised. But I also feel like she saw her own sister kind of turn away and, like, you know, kind of not look at her scars. Her sister would, like, turn her head and, like, kind of cringe by, lo- like, whenever her legs were out there. Um, so I kind of feel like that also fueled into her own um, her own self-worth and all of that. So that's what I thought her monster was. Did she cringe, the sister? Yeah, she did. She did cringe. She, like, turned and, like, kind of, like, sh- like you know, went into herself. But again, is she cringing a because she thinks it's it looks bad, or is which is probably what Aileen was thinking? But maybe she's cringing because she can feel the pain that her sister probably went through. You know, like it's always a question of perspective, and Aileen is probably thinking one thing, and maybe Olivia is thinking another thing completely. You know, that is so true. I didn't even think of it that yeah. way, but yeah. Uh, yeah. As for McKenna, obviously there's the whole. Uh, you know, idea that he wasn't raised uh, in yeah. a powerful, rich English family. He was a stable boy who came from nothing and, you know, made himself into a powerful man. And yet, you know, throughout the story, especially when he's interacting with uh, Gideon's family, it's very clear that it doesn't matter to anyone whether he has money or not. Just the fact that he doesn't have a powerful name attached to um, his own means that he's beneath people like that is the thing that follows him no Mm -hmm. matter what and obviously it was part of his monster because that's the thing that Eileen uses to hurt him because she she knows that that's the one thing that he really struggles with it's it's where it all began for him and how it will end you know like he's he'll never be enough for this goddamn society he no won't. And, like, I think it even further proves with Gideon's sister, like, fully calling him out and insulting him at, like, the dinner table. Yeah. And it's just, like, he'll, like, it'll, it's something that will always follow him despite him making so much money. And, like, yeah, he'll it's just, like, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's heartbreaking. Exactly. It'll never be enough. And, like, I also feel like this kind of works for Olivia as well, this monster of, like, society and classism and social class and all of that, and just, like, society in general, because, like, Yes, she she lost her social standing and, like, her position in society because of her past. She got pregnant from her fiancé, the man that she was going to marry, but yet she got shunned from society because she was pregnant from the man she was going to marry and because he died. And it's just, like, it's so confusing to me. It's so, like, ugh, it's so annoying because, like, she was going to marry the man and, sadly, he died. Why should she be, like, punished for that? Yeah. For, for Olivia, there's also a part of, like, uh, uh, accepting that there is a life beyond grief uh, and yeah. beyond scandal, obviously. Um, I think that part of her story was making the choice to finally move on from that and become who she was meant to be and who she really wanted to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is a scary step to take, but she did take it. And for her, it went all the way to you know not accepting Gideon and not wanting to see Gideon destroy himself slowly but surely you know uh so I really like that part of it just because it's just so relatable I feel like did you have any for McKenna or Olivia S I feel like we kind of just like we jumped to Olivia 
Um, I feel like, well, I only have monsters for Aline and McKenna, but they're around this. It's the same thing that you guys said. Like for Aline was her self-consciousness of what happened to her with the fire in her legs. And I feel like she let that dictate her life for a while. Yeah, she did. And then for McKenna, um, his monster, I feel like was him not, not him not feeling like he was and will never be good enough for Aileen. Just because of what she has said in the past, what she ended up saying again towards the end to kind of like break things off. And then what everybody around society had said, you know, yeah. said to him. I did like that Aline at least had one outlet and that being her friend. Um, what was his name? San Adam. I'll just call him Adam. His name is Adam. I love that she had that outlet. And I love that, like, he was kind of her sounding board in certain instances. And he's like, girl, go get that D. Like, you know, you want him? Go get it. <laughs> Find a way to make it happen. And, like, I love that, like, she just had that. She had that person to go to. I wish we could know what happened to Adam. I wish he would get a book. I hope, I hope he, like, found someone. He found some kind of arrangement that worked out for everyone involved. Yeah. Uh, for Gideon, um, I mean, obviously that was the alcoholism, but I think the mm-hmm. true the true monster for him is not so much the alcoholism as it is uh, getting himself out of a con- it's the same as Livia essentially getting yourself out of a situation that you know is detrimental to yourself and your happiness yeah and yeah. actually taking those steps for yourself and deciding to move on and become you know a better p- person or like you know work on a better version of yourself type of thing um I agree with that I think both of them that was that was the crux of it for them yeah I agree and I also feel like for him he spent a lot of his life feeling unlovable inferior to his like I guess the his family even his brother that died um and even like that intense grief of losing his child but also his brother that I think he even said he was really close with and like it's just like he has so much that happened to him in his past and like you said he needed to get out of it um and he needed that extra push so yeah. All right. Do we want to talk about Westcliff? Not with that attitude. <laughs> um. So Westcliff, uh, you know, he's in this book. He's also the hero of book two. It happened one autumn. Um. It's Seth's favorite book in the series. Favorite hero. What do you want to say, Seth? Come on. You have five minutes to fangirl. I literally have he's hot dot 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 tis all. <laughs> you don't need five minutes. I One thing that peed me so much in this book and they kept mentioning it, that he wasn't attractive. He is so hot in my mind, let me tell you. Like, it wasn't like, I think it was mentioned like two or three times. Like, oh, he wasn't like attractive, but like he was like built and like robust and like blah, 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 blah. But anyways, he was hot. He's a beefy dude. Yeah, he's muscular and I love it. I think what she meant is like you live in a world of McKenna's and Sebastian's who are literally described like gods. I think I think Marcus is attractive, but unconventionally. Like, I don't think he's got like the beautiful handsomeness of like the other guys. He's just, he's a little rougher looking. Yeah, no, and I agree with that. He's more rugged. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about Westcliff S? Because I, re- I remember, I remember how you felt about him after your first read. She didn't like him very much. She didn't think he was very interesting. <gasps> 
Yeah. I didn't care for his to... I didn't care enough to continue to read his book. Fight! 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 <laughs> but... As but we're, we're not talking hide. about we're talking about this second time of me reading it and yeah i'm i'm excited to read his book okay good to know i can i also just say you you gave me five minutes so i'm gonna continue <laughs> um <laughs> okay. i just loved how like how we got to see him not as like a romantic lead but like as a brother as brother. like a family member yeah. as like someone that someone can go to like he was such a supportive brother and like he loved his sister so much and he just wanted them to be happy and like he would do whatever it took to make them happy and like I just loved how supportive and loving and caring he was despite his upbringing. Like, his father sounded like a nightmare. He was sent off to boarding school at such a young age, and, like, he missed so much of his sister's lives. And it's just like, how does this man become so perfect? Didn't he try to sabotage? Well, yeah, the but, sisters? like, then he invested anyway. So, like, you know. Yeah. No, but <laughs> then think... he kind of woke up and he's like, actually, yeah. you're right. I'm kind of turning into my dad. So I don't want that to ever happen. Yeah. So, like, I'm going to help you guys. I think this book does a wonderful job of setting up his character, actually, because, yeah. um, like you said, Marcus is actually a really deeply caring character. He's literally throughout all the books. And that goes even into the Hathaways when he's, like, a little bit older. Um, I mean, obviously, even in the Raven House. Like, he's always the one character who, when you need someone and you need money or you need someone to invest or whatever, he's there. He will give you the money. I I feel like no one appreciates that about him enough because he's always there. You know he'll have your back. Yeah, if I need help with anything, if I feel like I was going to die, I would run to him and be like, West Club, I need your help. Marcus, help me. And you know what? He would. He would. I mean, I'd already be married to him, so I wouldn't have to reach too far. I also love how, and and, uh, before I go into my next point, this also like plays a role into his own book, you know, and how Mm -hmm. he is with Lillian and, and Daisy. Like he kind of acts as like a... I don't know, like, he he tries to better their situation. <laughs> I just, I, I can't wait till we get to talking about his story and just, like, I don't know, I'm just excited to hear, like, your thoughts, S, and I want to know if they change, and even you, um, I want to know. I want to know everything. But, but also, like, this book does such a good job of setting up setting up his annoyance for americans right <laughs> definitely right? comes into play <laughs> i was i literally have a note i was like isn't it funny hold on i was like isn't it funny that all the marsden siblings end up with americans true despite him Marcus. not liking americans yeah he's so annoyed by them but then like he's gonna end up with an american heiress look at that <laughs> i know I love it. Um, side note, uh, someone else who makes an appearance in this book, well, an appearance he's mentioned, um, Rutledge. Rutledge yes! is mentioned in this book. He is a future hero, S, uh, from the Hathaway series. Harry, hat, hotel owner. Love that. I don't remember no Rutledge, but okay, I'm excited. <laughs> Once we get to our Hathaway series, S, you'll know him. He's, he's um, he's... A lot of people don't like him, but I like him for the reasons that people don't like him. <laughs> he is. He was hot. Anyways, continuing on. Yeah. So anyway, I, I just noticed that and I was like, oh, wow. He was he was already 
a thing back in the wallflowers yeah did she write the wallflowers first or no she yes wrote, she definitely did so like it yeah. was already part of her plan her master plan her grand plan i hope there's never a finale i just hope she continues writing these books forever forever and ever i'm ready to read about westcliff and saint vincent in their 90s yes <laughs> yes <laughs> they could still get it <laughs> Ken, okay no questions but are we gonna do the no the no i can't don't make me do yes, that yes we are yes we are we love the pain yes we are seth i'm sorry but we are yes yes Mm-mm. yes 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 it just won't work because i love everyone that's the point. That's the problem, is I love everyone. It's why it's one of my favorite series ever. Spoiler. Which is why yeah, we're, which gonna is gonna why we're not going to do this. We're going to do why this. Why do you have to bring it up, As You're like that one student that, like, asks if you have homework, <laughs> and then you make us have homework. You shouldn't have asked me if I had any fun questions. Seth, what's your rating? What's your order? Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, I didn't do it, but obviously I'd have um, Gideon and then McKenna first. Right? Are we doing it like that? And then for the females, I'd have Livia and then Aileen first. Aileen first. Yeah, mine would be the same. Mine would be reverse. Ooh, <gasps> interesting. She's already starting to be different. I'm telling you, Westcliff and <laughs> Sebastian are not going to be her favorite. No, I know it's going to be Matthew for sure. Like it's going to be Matthew yeah. or Simon. Rafe. Matthew She'll or Simon. go for freaking Rafe. <laughs> Who's Rafe? Oh, Rafe. Yes, she would probably get yeah. Christmas Rafe. We'll see. Um, sorry. So, can you say yours, S? So it was reverse for both, or just the females? Reverse for both. Yeah. Really? Wow. Huh. Interesting. All right. Well, it, it, huh. it definitely explains why you wanted more Gideon than Livia when you read this yeah. the first time around. All right. Well, this is it for the first episode in our Wildflower Read Along series. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, you can let us know how you feel about this book uh, by reaching us online. Uh, on Twitter, we are the RTM Pod. On Instagram, it's Romance in the Monsters Podcast. You can also email us at Romance in the Monsters Podcast at gmail.com. And we are on TikTok uh, at Romance in the Monsters Pod. If you want to find me specifically, you can also find me at Foes and Lovers. And you can find me as on both Instagram and Twitter at But This Book. And you can find me, Seth, on both Instagram and Twitter at Pose with Woes. And also, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave a rating or review on any of the podcast platforms. It'd mean the world to us, and we just would appreciate uh, if you do that. So obviously, in two weeks' time, we'll be reading Secrets of a Summer Night. So if you want to get started on that, Feel free to do so. Yeah, hope you will see you there. And I mean, we'll see you first next week with another episode. Don't you worry. Uh, Yeah, see you. Bye. Bye.